chapter 10, verse 38. We're talking about two natures for the last few weeks. And what better topic, uh, what better characters to have today than Mary and Martha on this special Mom's Day. Mary and Martha. But I want to talk to you this morning really about what is spiritual worship. Spiritual worship. How do you love God? And we're in the last couple of weeks, we've talked about kind of like this dichotomy of good and the bad, the flesh and the spirit. Today, I really want to talk to you about two sides to the good side of the, of the coin, two sides of the positive uh, person, because really both of these ladies are phenomenal. We're going to look at both of them in that way. All right. So uh, spiritual worship, two natures, Mary and Martha. How do you worship God? Uh, I don't know, some of you have got to know me over the last uh, 10 years or so, but I'm a doer. Uh, if you, how many people read The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman years ago? Okay, yeah, it's an awesome book. Well, anyway, he has five love languages, and, and everyone has one strong one, maybe two. Some people have three. Uh, but I am a doer. My, my act of love is acts of service. I'm, I'm a go-getter. And, and my life, my gifts, my talents have been this organized, administrative, planning kind of person. And years ago, I really didn't like that about myself. I thought that was kind of like a weakness uh, because I just wasn't like everybody else. But over the years, I've found out, man, that's who I am. That's my gift. Not everybody can do what I can do, but I can't do what everybody else can do. And so some people are uh, uh, task-oriented, focused people. That's their gift. That's how they show love. That's how they show service, acts of service. Uh, and then other people are the words of affirmation or the quality time. And that's kind of like my wife. She's the quality time. That's her uh, acts of love, all right? But every person, if you read uh, the story of the book, you know that every person gives love often in the way they want to receive love. And that's how we view. How we view love is often how we give love, how we need it. Every person wants to give love and needs love in a completely different way. And so our job is to figure out all right, like I've been married uh, a lot of years now. Beth and I have been together since we were 16, and I'm 38. Okay, you do the math. I've been with one woman for a long time, and I've had to figure out how do I give her love in the way that she needs love, all right? And the same is true with anybody. You can go to a group of uh, a team at your work or in your uh, teacher's lounge, and every person uh, shows love and receives love in a different way. And our job in relationship is to figure out how do I come across to the other person? Because I'm a task-oriented person, so sometimes when I get on a group of people, I'm like, I've got to do this, this, and this, and this, and everybody's like, right, slow down, Heath, you know, we got to just... Say hello first. You know, I'm kind of, I, have to, I have to train myself to slow down because the way I want to serve people is by work. How many people are workers? Where's my worker bees? We're talking about work. Yeah, doers, okay? Man, we're just go, get it done. And that's, that's how I love people, by serving and by working hard. But not everybody's like that, right? And so how do we love one another? I'll give me another way. For some people, when someone says, I love you, man, it does all the endorphins in the world. Man, just to say that they love me means something. Now, some of us grew up in homes that said it all the time, maybe, but did never mean it. And so those are just words to you, and you're looking for some real action, right? Same is true for I'm sorry. For some people, this has been a big thing in my marriage, for some people, I'm sorry is very important. Just to say the words, I'm sorry. Uh, that did not happen in my child. I was not an I'm sorry person. I had to learn those uh, three words, all right? Uh, I am sorry. Because those are 
are just words to me. I'm a doer. And so, but if you do something, that's, that's different, all right? Beth's on the other side. Words, man. Those words mean all the difference in the world, just to say those words. So we love differently. And perhaps there is no different person than God in us. God is so different from us. The Bible says he's holy. He's otherly. He's not like us. But the Bible says in Romans that God demonstrated, turn to your neighbor and say demonstrated. He demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here's my question to you today. How are you showing God love in the way God wants to receive love? How are you showing God love in the way God wants to receive love. He demonstrated his love for you, and how are you demonstrating your love for him? The problem is we can get so busy with so many things that when we attend a worship service, there's no longer hardly any worship in our service, right? Uh, We can get so busy, and secondly, we can spend a lifetime learning about God that God no longer fits into our learning. We can limit a limitless God. And lastly, we can be so productive in our Christian living that we're no longer prophetic, that the Holy Spirit no longer uses us to do unexpected things for His glory. And we can love God so much in the natural and forget that the Bible says in John 4, 24, that God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth, right? God's spirit. So how do I love God spiritually? You see, when the Holy Spirit comes into our life as believers, we, He takes this old carnal nature that Romans says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That We in our carnal nature, that in the Greek word is sarx, S-A-R-X, in that nature, I can't please God. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He comes into my life, gives me a new heart and a new spirit. And that Holy Spirit on the inside of me moves and creates a new nature that wants and desires to please God. And that nature, if I listen to it, he'll move my mind to please God. He'll move my emotions to please and love God. He'll even use my physical body to please God, and he'll use my spirit. That's why we can say, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Every part of you hits holistic love towards God, holistic love and worship, and he'll do that. Here's the thing, though. I can love God with my emotions, but guess what? That's only temporary here on this earth. I can love God with physical acts like coming to church and paying tithes and doing things like that. I can, I can love God physically uh, with my physical body. I can demonstrate love. And those are very important, but that's also temporary. There's an act of worship that goes beyond the temporal, and it gets you to a place of spirit worship. He says you have to love God in spirit. Worship God in spirit. There's the truth, I understand, that's going to take my life a certain direction. But how do you worship God in spirit? Beyond your body, beyond your mind, beyond your emotions, how do you worship God in a way that's going to last for eternity? That's the way, we're talking about how do we love other people in the way they want to be loved. God wants to be loved in spirit and in truth. Okay, look with me in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Two natures, Mary and Martha, what is spiritual worship? The thing I want to leave you with today is spend time listening. Somebody say listening. There's a key word. Spend time listening to Jesus so you can spend yourself 
loving Jesus. Spend time listening to Jesus so you can spend yourself loving Jesus. And we're going to call that today a, a little phrase, prophetic worship or spiritual worship. Let me give you the background. Luke chapter 10, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, three siblings, love Jesus. They've been following Jesus over his itinerant ministry. And every time he comes, he's come to Jerusalem uh, three times in his three years of ministry. Uh, outside of Jerusalem is a town across the Mount of Olives, a little town called Bethany. And that's kind of their home base. But these people have followed him, and, and they've been supporting him financially. Uh, Jesus loved them. Like, really, three of his closest friends. Uh, maybe he was related in some way. We don't know. But they, they were very close. Probably Jesus did miracles in their life, and they just got attached to him. So you've got Lazarus, uh, the guy. Uh, Martha, the older sister, she's like me. She's an act of service kind of person. She's a doer. She's known for her hospitality. She's known as a party planning committee leader. All right? She's in the... Uh, the Beekeepers Association president. She's like the flower garden. What's the Home and Gardens magazine? That's her. She's the Betty Crocker. Okay, she's, she's that lady. She's probably the older sister, too, because she's kind of bossy. And then there's Mary. Mary's kind of the other one. She's the quality time, uh, the romantic. She's the emotional one, the introspective one, the feeling one. And she's the youngest one because we don't find her doing a whole lot in the house. Okay, so this is this family. They love Jesus, given their life to follow him and preach that he is the Messiah. Now, here's where we find in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, they went on their way. There's disciples in the caravan here. Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. That's the logos, the word. He listened to his word is what that says. But Martha was distracted. Somebody say distracted. She was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister's left me to serve alone? Then tell her to come help me. But the Lord answered to her, Martha, Martha. I hear like the Brady Bunch. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Somebody say one thing. One thing. Okay, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Okay, so you gotta get, get, get this. Martha is serving Jesus out of love. She loves the guy. Otherwise, she wouldn't host him in her home. So she's hosting him, and it's not just Jesus and the 12. This, the Bible says that many women followed Jesus. So we're talking a caravan, maybe 20, maybe 30 people crammed into an ancient first century home. There are people like outside the windows. No doubt there's lepers in the street crying out. I mean, this is a chaotic scene. And Martha, who's known for being a host, and everybody knows her this way, she's hosting them. And so she's trying to get the table spread. People are asking where to go to the bathroom. You know, People flushing the toilets, overflowing. I'm not, come on, not really. But you know what I'm saying? It's, it's chaotic. And if you had one of those scenes where everyone's in your home, Peter's putting his feet on the table, Luke's in there, the lamp's falling over. I mean, you got to think. And then she's busy trying to, the Messiah is in your home. Some of y'all won't even invite me over because y'all don't want me to see their house. But I mean, like, can you imagine Jesus in your home, right? And he's in your home, on your couch. He's going to be perfect, Bringing out grandma's china. You know what I mean? This is, this is going to be nice. All right, he's in the home, stopping by. And then, you know, if you had those moments where you're like, you got one thing flipping and one thing churning and one thing's coming out, and, and all of a sudden you're like, Mary, Mary, grab this. And you turn around and Mary's gone. Your sister, supposed to be helping you keep this up. And so Mary probably went out of the room, maybe tray in hand. And Martha 
turns in, goes in the living room, and sees Mary, probably Trey, still in hand, sitting at Jesus' feet, totally captivated. Now, you got to think, that when I mean Jesus' feet, their tables reclined, your feet kind of went behind you, and there, you know, you've seen the, some of the pictures, they're in a U. Lazarus and all of them are there. The boys are all talking. This is the boys' club. This is how it was in the first century. The ladies kind of were serving and sitting in the back, and there's Mary just behind Jesus, really, behind him, sitting and listening as he talks to all the boys. And then she says, hey, get back in the kitchen. You know, not really. She, she asked Jesus, don't you care? You have let a girl sit in here listening to you guys. Can she come back? And that's kind of where we're at. What begins from this is a dialogue about work and worship. So let's look at this first point, work or worship. Did you know that work and worship have the same root word in the Hebrew, avodah? It's in the Hebrew. It means servitude. It means I can, I'm serving something or someone. So uh, work and worship, it's the same root word. And it means either to labor in the temple for God or labor in the world for work. The problem is, is that what was work in the garden was good. But one day we fell, and by voluntary transgression, we sinned against God. And guess what God said is going to happen? Your work is going to become laborious. Everything that you do now is going to be hard. And if we're not careful, even our worship now to God can become work. Martha was worshiping Jesus in the best way she could show love. But what happened is, Jesus says, Martha... They have many distractions. He says, you are worried about many things. That word is bothered. You're bothered by many things. And he goes on, he says, and there are all these other things. There's, you're anxious about all this stuff. You're worried about your meal not going well. You're worried about your image as a host. You're worried about how the party is going to go. You're bothered by Peter over here. He's got his feet on the couch. You're, you're bothered by many things, and your worship has become work. I've been in ministry 16 plus years now. I know what it means that my ministry can become work and not worship. You ever had uh, ladies and guys, you ever had that moment like at Thanksgiving dinner and you have this huge, you've been planning Thanksgiving dinner because the, maybe the in-laws are in and, and you know, your, your daughter-in-law and all these people or your grandkids are coming in and, and you're going to make it perfect, but there's so many things. You're going to get the rolls at a certain time, the mashed potatoes, your husband's not helping you with, you know, the turkey's there, he's not doing it right. All this stuff, you got grandmother's recipe, it's just not tasting like she, and you got all this stuff and before the day is done, how many know this? We, you've been prepping for like three hours, maybe three days. We eat that meal in 30 minutes, and then we're done. <laughs> and you are exhausted, and you're like, it's over. What was all that for? It's over. You know, we can spend so much time on the procedure of it. We can spend so much time on the perfection of it that we miss the point. And the point is the people that are there. I know this because this is what I do all the time. I hate preaching this sermon because I'm preaching to myself. This is like one of the worst stories for me to preach because I know I'm Martha. That so many times we can just go through things. We've got to get this there, this there. You can vacations. We're going to hit this spot, this spot, this spot. And before long, you're just focused on the journey. And you're not focused on enjoying the ride, right? And he's saying, Martha, you're missing the point when all your perfection 
And all your work, it's become, uh, all your worship has become work. Remember what Psalms 51 says, You do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering, but the sacrifice of God or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, you'll not despise. But meanwhile, on the other side, here's Mary. The Bible says that she was hearing, but that word really means she was absorbing. She was absorbing the word, and that absorbing the word led to one thing. It led to adoration. Absorbing the word, taking him in, taking Jesus. She's just, I mean, can you imagine just being caught up, like, ah, here's your drink, and she hears something, and she's like, ah, and I, she just sits down, and she just realizes, I don't know how long it's been since I've been here. She just got caught up, fascinated, in awe of just the Word of God. Absorbing it led to adoration. And here she finds her, and, and she's like, Jesus, don't you care? Martha says, don't you care? And he says to her, he's not rebuking her, but he says, Martha, Martha. That's a term that means endearment in the ancient world. Martha, Martha, you named twice. Endearment, it's saying, I understand how you feel. I understand what you're going through. But let me tell you something about the way you're seeing this. I want to tell you how I receive love. This is how I, I get how you're trying to give me love. Thank you for hosting me. Thank you for taking 30 people into your house. Thank you for trying and giving me your very best. But let me tell you something. I know this because this, God does this to me all the time. He says, she's chosen the better portion, and it won't be taken away from her. What does he mean there? You see, he's saying, basically, I'm... I'm no side dish. All right, watch this. He says, there's many things you can do for me, but there's one thing, he says, one thing is necessary. What is that? What Jesus can do for us. There's many things you can do for Jesus, but the main thing is what he can do for you. He says, uh, Martha, there's one thing necessary. Here, it's what I can do for you. There's many good portions you can take from this life. But Mary's chosen the greater portion. Look at that. He says, the greater portion. It's coming from sitting with him. In a sense, what he's saying is that, hey, there's a lot of things. There's a meal being served here. But I'm actually the one here to feed you. He's the one. Martha was doing her best to give a meal, but the best meal given that day was the one Jesus was giving. Martha, you're missing the point. I know you're trying to feed us temporarily in the physical, in the natural, but I'm actually the one hosting this. I'm actually the one feeding everyone. I'm actually the one giving the best portion of the meat and potatoes is coming right here, and she's chosen the better portion. See, you can fill your life. Your life can be like a plate, like this plate here. You can cut your life in many different ways. It can be like a pie or a plate. And I can say this portion is to work, this portion is to family, this portion is to, you know, my entertainment, hobbies. You can only fit so much on this plate. Now, some of us, we like Golden Crown and Tess Roadhouse. We want to go back a couple times, you know. But, but if your life is this, you have different helpings, different portions. And he says the greatest portion that I can, that you should have on your plate is me. The greatest helping of food that you should put on your plate is me. And that's the question. Is your life all about work or worship? You've got a lot of things. There's, there's everyone in this room who said, man, I got a lot on my plate, Pastor. Yeah? What's the greatest portion on your plate? Oh, I got a lot on my plate. Man, there's a lot of things going on in my life, Pastor. Busy, 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 busy. A lot on my plate. What's the biggest helping on your plate? Is it work or is it worship? 
Is it the world or is it Jesus? What is the biggest helping you have in your life on your plate? Everybody in America brags all the time. My plate is so full, man, so proud of how busy I am, so proud of how much I got going on. My kids are gone. This is going to happen. I mean, it's, it's almost like a merit badge how busy we are. And we just look and say, look how busy we are. Jesus says, Martha, you're busy. You're distracted. You're worried about many things. Your plate's full. But I need to be the biggest helping. I need to be the biggest portion on your plate. Joanna Weaver wrote the book, uh, Having a Merry Heart in a Martha World, and she says, you know, the horse must come before the cart. The horse must come first because otherwise you'll end up pulling the cart yourself. Worship is the horse. Work is the cart. Worship comes before our work. Worship comes before everything else. You see, Christ uh, often finds ourselves being so busy doing things as things he's never called us to, expectations, responsibilities we've never placed, he never placed on us. Before long, your prayer life, your Bible reading, your church attendance, all of our time for worship has been drowned out by all the busy, all the distractions. Sometimes even ministering to others can be a distraction. But if we're not sitting at the feet of Jesus, absorbing in the word, we'll never be adoring will never find adoration. Mary sat at the feet absorbing, and it led to adoration. Look with me, the next part is limited or limitless. Real quick, limitless, limited or limitless. Let's go on from this family. We're going to pick them up two other times. John chapter 11, uh, verse 21. We find this family later on. Lazarus has died. You know the story, maybe. Uh, Lazarus has died. Jesus has waited four days uh, before the guy dies because he's going to do a miracle. Everybody thinks he's sleeping. He says, nope, he's actually dead. So they're on the way back to Bethany for another trip. Martha comes out midway, meets Jesus on the way. She says, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother had not died. You know, there's this thing about these two natures that we have. In one moment, I can be totally thinking in the spirit and be a very spiritual person. And in the next moment, I can be thinking about fleshly things. I can think about the natural things. One moment, we can be eternal-minded. Next moment, we can be temporal-minded. One moment, I can be you know, thinking about supernatural things are possible. Next thing, I can just think natural things are possible. And this is what happens. Martha, in her own organized self, she says, Lord, uh, I, I, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. But John chapter 11, verse 23, Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know he'll rise again in the, the last day. But he says, but Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And he goes on. And she has this great spirit-filled proclamation. She says, yes, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. All right, here in this one moment, we find Martha. She's playing both sides of the coin. In one moment, she says, if you had been here in that moment, all she sees as possible is her natural eyes. She knows Jesus is a good guy. She knows he's the Messiah, that she's seen him raise people from the dead. But she can only believe as far as her natural eyes have ever seen. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. You could have healed him. And, and I know you, got all, you, you can ask God for anything, Jesus, and he'll give it to you. But not that. It's too late now. Sorry. I'm so sad you didn't make it here. So she's thinking only natural. She, this is a Christian woman. 
Then she says, then he says, well, I'm the resurrection and the life, and don't you believe this? And then she says, yeah, you are the Christ. That's the, one of the greatest proclamations in the New Testament right there. Peter and her say, you are the Christ. So the Holy Spirit gives her that prompting. Man, she says, you're the Christ. See how you, in one minute you're thinking natural? Next minute the Holy Spirit can say, yeah, you're the, you're the God. You're God's Son. You're the incarnate one. You're the Messiah. You can do anything. And then we go on. He gets out to the tomb. All right. Roll it away. Lazarus, come forth. And then what does she say? Oh, come on, those King James people know this one. But Lord, he what? Stinketh. Come on, there's a King James. Stinketh. He stinks. There you go, natural again. One moment, you're the resurrection. Ah, I believe you. Next minute. But, but what about the logistics here, God? He's stinking. You're going to make... Come on, if you can raise somebody from the dead, I think you can change their B.O. I'm just saying. You, you can... It, surely... If he can raise his mortal body to life, you see how we can think as a good Christian person, loves Jesus, hosting for Jesus, gives her life to Jesus, professing he's the Christ, even the best of us struggle with limitless and limited. We struggle. It's okay. It's not a bad thing. Martha's a wonderful person. But Jesus right here shows her two natures. He begins to weep over the loss that they had. Jesus wept, shortest verse in the Bible. He weeps over the, uh, the loss of this man. He, he knows he's going to raise from the dead. But in this one moment, here's what he does. He reveals that he is God then, now, and forever. Remember Malachi says, for the Lord does not change. What is he showing her in that moment? Martha, Martha, again, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to weep with you in the temporary, in the natural. I'm God with you right now. I'm caring with you. I'm loving you just like I was in the house. Martha, Martha, I love you. But let me tell you something. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am not limited on what I can do in the last day or the first day. I have always been God then. I am God now. And I will God be God forever. So here's the thing. In our life, do we limit God in the now by what he's done in the past. Sometimes we believe in dispensations. We believe in cessations, meaning, well, God doesn't work that way anymore. That's not what he said in this passage. He says, I'm the same. I have, I'm, I'm the resurrection on the last day, and I'm the resurrection today. What I have done for them, I can do for you, and I will do in the future. He does not change. God never changes. And he's demonstrating something. I'm with you in your humanity, but I am always God in power. I'm always God in power. Is our faith based in the natural or the spiritual? In the temporary or the eternal? Or have we come to believe the lie in us, that old fleshly nature? We spent a whole life learning about God, but does God fit into our doctrine or does our doctrine fit into Him? Do we believe that God sympathizes with our conditions? Do we believe He's still willing to act for our benefit? And do we believe He's the same? This is how we learn to love him. Lastly is this, productive or prophetic. Okay, now let's jump to Mary. So here we are, fast forward. Lazarus just got raised from the dead. They're back at Bethany. The Bible says they were at the home of Simon the leper. We don't know if that's Martha's husband or just another house down the street. But Simon the leper got healed. Simon's hosting. But Martha is there serving. Now Mary, who has seen Jesus, not only talked, she's listened at his feet. She's been there learning adoring him, absorbing him. She's seen that Jesus healed and raised her brother from the dead. Now, just now, they're hosting. Many, many more people have heard. This is the greatest miracle he's done, his last miracle on earth. 
Here's this moment. It was a very famous moment. John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, they came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus raised from the dead. They made him a supper there. It's at the home of Simon the leper. And Martha was serving. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. All right, listen to me. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard. All right, Mark 14 says that she broke the neck of it. It's like a vial that you have to break the neck on. Anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled. Somebody say filled. Filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Other disciples kind of say, what in the world is going on? This is, this is 300 denarii. That's 300 days wages. One, almost one year of a working man's salary. So let's put it and compute it to, to modern terms. Let's say you make $30,000 a year. This is $30,000 worth of perfume. I don't know if you what you got in your house, but I'm just going to Dillard's, and that's expensive for me. All right? So, all right, 60 bucks, on a, you know, and it lasts me for like three years. $30,000. She breaks it, gives it, and they begin to say, what in the world are you doing, Mary. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew 26. She has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for the burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the entire world, hey, today, this woman, what she's done, will also be told in memory of her. Where was Martha? It says Martha was serving. Martha was still being productive. She's out there in the kitchen doing what Martha does best, showing her love the way she knows how to show love. She's being productive. But where is Mary? Mary's about to do something prophetic. Martha's doing something productive. Mary's over here doing something prophetic. What happened? Why? Why Mary versus Martha? Where was Mary in the beginning? Mary had been sitting at the feet of Jesus, absorbing in the Word, which led to adoration. And as Jesus began to say over and over and over again, the Bible tells us, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to die, I'm going to be betrayed to the hands of a sinner, but I will rise on the third day. The disciples are over here like, huh? Huh? I don't understand what he's saying. But Mary had discernment. The Bible says the disciples had no clue what was going to happen. But Mary had been absorbing, taking him in. And it led to adoration. She was listening in the Spirit, worshiping in the Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit was prompting Mary to do something that no one else understood because no one else had been listening the way Mary was listening. She began to do something prophetic. They were all doing stuff that was productive, but Mary was doing something prophetic. She was anointing him for a burial he was about to have that nobody understood. Lavishly extravagant, her worship. It was broken from a broken vessel. It began to fill the room. It says it filled the room. The aroma filled the room. It literally changed the atmosphere with her worship, not just physically, but spiritually. Jesus said, this isn't something she's just doing now in the temporal, but this is something that's going to be talked about for eternity. This is, worship was not just something that was productive, but it was prophetic. It wasn't just in the natural, but it was in the supernatural. It wasn't just in the flesh, but it was in the spirit. Mary began to worship in in spirit and in truth. Because it was worshiping through what the Holy Spirit had prompted her to do through her adoration of the Word of God, it led to uh, this moment of extravagant, lavish, broken worship. And Jesus says she did all she could. She worshiped through the Spirit. Here's my challenge to you, and we're going to close. Is my worship of God all about temporary things or eternal things? 
Is my worship of God just physical or is it spiritual? Does my worship of God cost me something? Mary got to that moment where uh, we were learning about the plate. Jesus needs to be your greatest portion, your greatest helping. And here's what Mary did. She broke the plate and she laid it down. She gave all she had. She got to a moment where Jesus was everything on her plate. He was all things to her, everything. Some people think that that $30,000 vial of perfume was her dowry, was her life savings that was really being saved to give to her future husband, and that she basically was giving her entire future to Jesus. See, there's got to be moments in our life with the Holy Spirit that it's not just I worship God by going to church on Sundays, reading my Bible on occasion, and fitting Jesus into when I can, but that I'm in a place with God that worship is throughout the day, all day, every day, seven days a week, that He's everything on my plate, everything is uh, behind Him, He's the first portion, but in the same way that the Holy Spirit can break in and in any moment tell me to do things that are unexpected. Like Heath, turn around, there's someone at Walmart, go down aisle number seven, I want you to talk to you. Or turn around and talk to this person, this unexpected event that's going to happen, and I'm going to tell someone that they're going to meet you. Remember throughout the whole Bible, Philip's like, I'm in revival. Jesus says, leave them all, go out in the middle of the desert, you're going to find one guy on a chariot, follow after it, and I'll tell you when you see it. There's unexpected moments, lavish moments, things that cost you something. Maybe, God, you've been saving up for that big boat or that big thing, and God says, no, sell it. I have something I want you to do. Build a church. Or maybe he's got someone he wants to talk, uh, he wants you to talk to. Or maybe it's things that you need to lay down. Hey, give me that past. Give me that future. Give me all that worry. Give me all your money. Give me all that pain. Give me your talents, your dreams. When I, uh, I grew up, I, I uh, played the harmonica since I was eight. Some of y'all know that. But one of the things I did early on, uh, because my family is very musical, I told the Lord, I will never play that instrument for any song but Christian songs. That was something I laid down. When I was in college, there was, there was a moment where I had to make a decision that, I, Lord, I had a plan to be a psychologist and do this and be a good Christian. And then God says, no, I want more than that. And I, had to, I remember the moment on a Tuesday morning at 8.30 in the morning where I got down on my knees at my bed as a college student and said, God, I'll give you my past. I know that's easy because I want you to take all my sin. And I'll even give you my now, my temporary right now. I'm going to church every day. I'm doing this. But he says, but he, I want your future. And man, I tell you, when, he, when I said that out loud, I said, Lord, I'll give you my future. It was like this thing just rushed over me, a weight lifted because he'd been stirring with me. Give me Everything. He wasn't telling me what he was sending me to. He just wanted everything. And has God taken your everything? Have you broken your life and poured it out at his feet and it changed the atmosphere around you? And maybe God keeps you in the secular world. He may not send you to ministry or to Africa, but he needs and deserves your everything. You ask me, Pastor, how do I love God? God is spirit. You've got to love him in spirit. Not just loving in the temporary, but in the eternal. Not just learn, loving in the flesh, but loving in the spirit. Not just loving with productive things and good Christianity, but prophetic things. Things that will last forever. Giving up your whole self to do things you would otherwise not do. Unless the Holy Spirit told you to do it. Romans 12 says, I urge you, I urge you, I urge you, I urge you. Brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, present your whole body, mind, body, soul, present your whole self 
as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. This is your spiritual service of worship. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? How's your worship? How are you loving God? Are we just temporary or eternal? Physical or spiritual? Do we view God in limited ways or limitless ways? Is all of our work worship? You can take a moment and just take a self-examination. Maybe you love God. But are you loving God in the way He wants to be loved? Maybe you're a worshiper of God. Are you worshiping God in the way He wants to be worshipped? I have really just, this whole week, this morning, just been, God, help me to be more like Mary. I know I'm naturally like Martha, but help me to be more like Mary. Where you have all of me. And I'm loving you how you want to be loved. We take a moment of just introspection. Maybe you put on things in your plate that God never asked you to put on. Maybe you're, you're like Martha, the cart was before the horse, and you, you're busy with so many things, your plate is full. But G, if you were honest today, Jesus is not the biggest helping. He's not the biggest portion on your plate. Worried and distracted by so many things, maybe even good things. But Mary chose the greatest portion. She chose the best thing. So Holy Spirit, would you take this moment right now that we could just come back to the feet of Jesus and fall in love with you again. Can you bring us back to adoration?